This is 1A. I'm Joshua Johnson in Washington. Do the laws of the United States clearly state that men and women are equal? Here's what the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia said at UC Hastings Law School back in 2010. Certainly, the Constitution does not require sexual discrimination on the basis of sex. The only issue is whether it prohibits it. It it doesn't. Nobody ever thought that that's what it meant. Nobody ever voted for that. The late Antonin Scalia speaking in 2010. Now, the questions around how much protection women do receive under the Constitution have had mixed answers for decades. And the fight to add an equal rights amendment to the Constitution is headed toward its 100-year mark. It was first introduced back in 1923. Congress passed the Equal Rights Amendment on a bipartisan basis in 1972, but it stalled in ratification until last year, when Nevada became the 36th state to approve it. Illinois did so this May, and just one more state is needed to make the ERA part of the United States Constitution. A Pew Research poll last year found that four out of five Americans say it is very important for women to have rights equal to men. Half say the U.S. has not done enough to make that happen. How would an equal rights amendment change that? Joining us in studio to discuss it is Michelle Gilman, a law professor, the director of clinical programs, and a co-director of the Center on Applied Feminism at the University of Baltimore. Professor Gilman, welcome back to 1A. It's a pleasure to be here. Joining us from New York is Democratic Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney. Her district includes parts of Manhattan, Queens, and Brooklyn. She has introduced an ERA bill into Congress in the last 11 sessions. Congresswoman Maloney, welcome. Thank you for focusing on this important issue. Thank you for inviting me. We also want to focus on some of your questions and thoughts about the ERA and what it might mean for you if it passed and your thoughts about whether it should pass. For, against, we welcome all points of view. Email us, 1A at WAMU.org. Comment on our Facebook page or tweet us at 1A. Congresswoman Maloney, let me start with you. What is something that everyone who hears about the Equal Rights Amendment thinks they know about it, but really don't. What's the one biggest misconception? Well, I'd say that your your quote from Scalia makes it very clear. Um, uh, we need laws in our country that, that have a firmer legal bedrock. Quite frankly, I spend three-fourths of my time fighting to hold on to what we already have. And, and by enshrining women's equality in the Constitution, there'll be no question as to whether discrimination on the basis of sex is unlawful. It would be unlawful, and uh, it would stop this constant attempt to roll back Title VII, Title IX, equality and employment and, and sports and education. It would uh, help uh, move forward equal pay for equal work. I always say the E in the ERA stands for economic equality and, and educational equality. And uh, my entire life, women have been stuck at 80 cents to the dollar, which is unfair. And when I was the chair of the Joint Economic Committee, we did a report that shows that it compounds over a lifetime uh, with dire consequences for women and leads to the fact that the largest segment of poverty in America is older women because the unfair pay becomes unfair pension, uh, lesser lesser Social Security, uh, less, lesser 401k, and, mm. and less savings and over a lifetime, economists predict it's anywhere from 500000 to to a million dollars. And, and this patchwork of laws that we have, uh, uh, they're a patchwork, not a blanket of protections. And, and we need that uh, to be there to help women. And people think, uh, 
because of the work of the women's movement, you may enter a job at the equal pay with your male colleagues, but five, ten years out, uh, studies show that the pay pay gap uh, becomes larger Mm -hmm. and uh, discrimination steps in to a greater degree, and uh, Scalia made it very clear. Well, one per- uh, you're not protected, so well, we one- need to protect women. Well, one person also from the Supreme Court who was very vocal about the ERA for her whole career was Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She spoke at an event at the National Press Club here in D.C. back in 2014, and she was asked what amendment she would like to see added to the U.S. Constitution. Here is part of what Justice Ginsburg said. It would be the, the Equal Rights Amendment. It means that women are people equal in stature before the law. That's fundamental constitutional principle. I think we have achieved that through legislation, but legislation can be repealed, it can be altered. That principle belongs in our Constitution. It is in every Constitution written since, since the Second World War. I would like my granddaughters, when they pick up the Constitution, to see that that notion that women and men are persons of equal stature, I'd like them to see that that is a basic principle of our society. Part of the comments of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg back in 2014. Professor Gilman, is Justice Ginsburg correct saying that equality through legislation has been kind of the main thrust in terms of putting women on equal legal footing with men? Well, certainly there have been a variety of statutes, as the Congresswoman noted, designed to increase women's equality, such as Title VII, which uh, protects against discrimination in employment, and Title IX, which protects against discrimination in education. Um, What ERA advocates want is that to be constitutionalized. There are constitutional protections for women already under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Justice Scalia, for his part, has a different reading than the majority of the other justices about the Equal Protection Clause. There is some irony to his uh, reading of the Equal Protection Clause as not protecting women. For an avowed textualist, it's interesting that he was looking to the intent of the people who drafted the 14th Amendment. There's an irony there. Mm -hmm. But right now, there is constitutional protection for women. Uh, The problem from the perspective of ERA advocates is it's at a lower level than protection on the basis of race. So gender is protected, but laws that discriminate on the basis of Gender are subject to an intermediate level of scrutiny, whereas laws that discriminate on the basis of race are subject to this higher level of scrutiny that we call strict scrutiny. And that's a gap that ERA advocates are hoping to overcome. We're speaking to University of Baltimore law professor Michelle Gilman and Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, a Democrat from New York. We welcome your questions and thoughts as well. Email us 1A at WAMU.org. Oh, to be wiser tweeted, our society doesn't view women as equals. The examples are numerous and occur daily. I will choose to focus on just one, the violence against women by the men they love. This is an expression of the power imbalance in our society. We need the ERA now to change the dynamic. Congresswoman Maloney, we did mention that there are a number of places in the law already that where protections against women are enshrined. They're not quite to the level of, say, protections against women 
race. There is also this matter of the original ERA from 1972 that's working its way through the states. You, Congresswoman, have introduced a new version of the Equal Rights Amendment. Why introduce a different one? Well, it's basically the same uh, Equal Rights Amendment that Alice Paul uh, drafted and introduced in uh, Seneca Falls in 1923. Uh, The only difference is it adds the word woman uh, to the Constitution, because many cases have gone to the Supreme Court, and they say women don't have standing, and uh, many, uh, I think, uh, cases that, well, uh, that should have been heard. Uh, But in in, in any event, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, in, in her statement, Uh, she pointed out that all of these laws that we work so hard to put in place uh, can be gutted and and erased by a speaker, by a president, uh, and finally by an unfriendly court. Uh, Today's Supreme Court comes to mind, and and they can rule in ways that overturn long-standing tradition and, and precedent. So the only way that women's rights are going to be protected is if they are bedrock firm in the Constitution, there are constant attempts through executive orders and other ways to roll back uh, the, the laws that we put in place, uh, not only Title IX and Seven, but, but uh, uh, the, the laws that we have uh, against discrimination and, and pregnancy and, and, uh, and uh, other bills that we've worked. There are constant, constant efforts to roll them back. My, my husband once said to me, how, how did we have such great athletes as daughters? And he said, because uh, our daughters were great athletes. And he said, I wasn't a great athlete, and you weren't. And I said, well, how do you know? I, I never got the chance to play in any sports when I was growing up. We didn't have the opportunity. It wasn't there. And there are constant efforts through Title IX to roll back up. Uh, uh, certain enforcements and, and interpretations, and they chip away. Uh, you've seen it in this administration, and, and you've seen it in the, in the Bush administration, where they uh, tried to roll back major aspects of, of, of Title IX. Congresswoman, I know we've got to let you go in a second, but if another state ratifies the ERA and heads back to Congress, what do you think the outlook is like for the ERA today in Congress? I, I think it's absolutely excellent because of the energy uh, that is out there. You saw it first in the in the in the women's march right after uh, the president's election, and and uh, we thought in New York we'd have twenty thousand people show up. It was well over seven hundred thousand, and it was across the country. It was across the world, and that energy is still there. We have more women running for office than ever before, and more importantly, winning. We have more women that have gotten through the primary and are on the ballot, and I believe they will be elected in November. And I believe that those people in Congress who are not supporting the three-state solution or the Equal Rights Amendment will then sponsor this election, and basically women's votes and like-minded men uh, will be part of this effort. I am uh, very, very encouraged. I, I, I say bravo to Illinois and Nevada, particularly the Republican governor right, right, in, right. in Illinois that played a critical role in its uh, enactment. And uh, we need Republicans to support this effort that, and, and like-minded uh, Democrats and Republicans working for this basic uh, right. That's, I would say, that's New York Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney. Sorry to cut you short, but we got to keep going. Congresswoman, thanks very much for talking to us. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment. I'm Joshua Johnson, and you're listening to 1A from WAMU and NPR.
This is 1A. I'm Joshua Johnson. We're discussing the Equal Rights Amendment with law professor Michelle Gilman of the University of Baltimore. We'd love to discuss it with you, too, so comment on our Facebook page, tweet us at 1A, or email 1A at WAMU.org. Before we bring in our next two guests to debate the ERA, I just wanted to give you the text of the Equal Rights Amendment. It's very short. It's three sections. It's super short. And I wanted to just clarify that one point the Congresswoman was making about the difference in the verbiage between the old version and the new version. So first, here's the original version of the ERA. Again, it's very brief. It's three sections. Section one, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Section two, The Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. Section 3. This amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. That's the original Equal Rights Amendment. The revision changes Section 1 slightly. It adds a sentence. Here's the revised Section 1. Women shall have equal rights in the United States and every place subject to its jurisdiction. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. So, Professor Gilman, it doesn't really change the verbiage. It kind of adds a sentence. And the verbiage is a concern for one of our listeners. Tony emailed, the ERA is unnecessary. All that is needed is strict adherence to the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause, which states that the government shall not deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Any additional language will only cloud the issue and cause further conflict. How much should we be concerned about the precise verbiage of this amendment? Well, the language as originally proposed probably would not make major changes to the law, given that, as I stated earlier, gender is protected under the Equal Protection Clause. There are some shortcomings uh, for women in how the Equal Protection Clause has been interpreted, such as the lower level of scrutiny that I mentioned earlier. It's also important to note that as a matter of constitutional interpretation, these non-discrimination provisions require that there be state action. They are a protection against the government discriminating against its citizens. They don't protect against what private people do, such as private employers or private schools. In addition, um, anti-discrimination provisions in the Constitution require intent on the part of government to discriminate, which is often very, very hard to identify and to prove. And much modern discrimination is not the result of intent, but of subconscious biases. So these are um, shortcomings right now in the interpretation of the Equal Protection Clause from the perspective of ERA advocates, and they're not solved necessarily by the language of the original ERA. Potentially, however, Representative Maloney's additional language could overcome those hurdles, but it would depend on how willing judges are to read that language more expansively. Let's get more into the debate over the ERA. Joining us now from St. Louis Public Radio is Anne Schlafly-Corey, chairman of Eagle Forum. She is the daughter of Phyllis Schlafly, who spearheaded the original movement against the ERA. Anne, welcome to 1A. Thank you for allowing an opposing uh, viewpoint on your show. Absolutely. And speaking of opposing viewpoints, joining us from NPR in New York is Carol Robles-Roman, co-president and CEO of the ERA Coalition and Fund for Women's Equality. Carol, welcome. 
Welcome, and thank you for having me today. We got a lot of points of view about the ERA, as you might expect. Mary in Philadelphia called to tell us what she thinks about it. How you feel about the Equal Rights Amendment depends on how you define equality. I define it as equal quality of life, the opportunity for women to have a quality of life that is equal to that enjoyed by men. I am convinced that the Equal Rights Amendment would not, repeat, would not bring about equal quality of life for women. In fact, for many women, it would make their lives worse. So Mary is opposed to the ERA, but she says it depends on how you define equality. Maybe that's a good place to start. Carol, how do you define equality as it relates to men and women under the law? We look to the language of the statute, that you have the language that you just cited, and it's very simple, and it's very crisp, and it's very clear. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. The simplicity of these words speak for themselves. As the professor mentioned and articulated, we're talking about government action and we're talking about a statute that would be held to actions of government in the first instance. And right now in this country, we do not have equality. Women do not have equality. Um, you have two Supreme Court justices on record, each uh, apparently best friends, but um, when, when, when the late Justice Scalia was alive, and not two that agreed very often in their decisions, but both in agreement as to what equality is in the, United, in the United States Constitution and what it is not. And the bottom line is the United States Constitution does not guarantee equal rights for women. It was stated by two Supreme Court justices, each approaching the analysis, right, from their own very different legal standpoints. Mm -hmm. And that is the very simple question before us. And same question for you. How do you define equality? Well, let's talk about the harms of ERA and the unintended consequences if this bad amendment were ever ratified and put into the Constitution. And I intend for us to do that. But first, if you wouldn't mind, how do you define equality? I like equality of opportunity. And women today in the United States have full equality of opportunity. There is nothing that ERA will get, will, will bring to women that we don't have the opportunity to achieve today. And I think it's wrong and harmful to think that women don't have the opportunities to do what they want, because what can't we do? We can achieve anything we want. And I think we, we've seen many examples of the possibilities of what women can achieve. So what's your primary concern with the ERA? ERA does not put women in the Constitution. It puts sex in the Constitution. And that's a different word with different meanings and different interpretations. And so I think ERA would enshrine in the Constitution the right to abortion. And that's a hotly contested issue, and, and it should not be put in the Constitution, but should be decided on the state level. ERA would force equal uh, the 
equal representation of women in military combat. And that's from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She has said that she wants to see equal numbers of men and women on the front lines in the military. That's harmful to women, and it's harmful to our military. ERA, how can you have any sex uh, segregation or sex differentiation in any law if the Constitution forbids any discrimination on the basis of sex. Women will suffer dramatic uh, harms with the, if this am- amendment is ever put into the Constitution. Professor Gilman, what do you make of that interpretation? Well, just as I said that the passage of the ERA overnight wouldn't make dramatic changes for women, I don't believe this parade of horribles would happen either. So, for instance, with regard to the issue about abortion, we can look to 24 states which have their own versions of ERAs and see that those ERAs at the state level have not by any means led to a concrete um, right to abortion on demand, as Anne suggested. We also know that with regard to the military, there are other lines of legal doctrine under which the Supreme Court defers to the judgments of other branches um, when dealing with military matters. So this ERA wouldn't be some sort of super constitutional amendment that outweighs all the other existing ones. It would live in harmony with those, and our existing doctrines just do not have the potential of leading to this parade of horribles. And as to the argument that there's no law that could benefit women in any way, um, that's not true either, because under if there was a compelling government interest to treat women differently, those sorts of laws would survive just as they do in the race context. We are speaking to University of Baltimore law professor Michelle Gilman, Anne Schlafly-Corey, chairman of Eagle Forum, and Carol Robles-Roman, co-president and CEO of the ERA Coalition and Fund for Women's Equality. Susan emailed, I protested, walked a picket line, and won the right to be a crossing guard at my grade school. I was 10 years old, and it was the year before Title IX passed. But the voices that scream, girls can't, and girls don't, and don't you dare, and no girls allowed, are still with us. We still need an ERA. Uh, And before we keep moving, can you just explain to me the argument about the ERA necessitating abortion across the country? I'm, I'm fuzzy on that. ERA uh, says you cannot discriminate on the basis of sex. And any law, abortion only happens to women. Only women get pregnant. And you see, it's these common sense differences between men and women that ERA would upend and not not allow to have distinctions on it. So if you have government uh, uh, financing of medical treatments, then how can you make a distinction on any medical treatment uh, if it's different between men and women? And so I think there's been uh, ample evidence that abortion would be enshrined as a part of the Constitution. And, of course, a subsequent amendment upends any previous amendment. So so, so, so it you, sounds like what you're saying is that, that, that this would kind of blow the doors open for abortion access more broadly across the country. I'm hearing a number of people across the country saying, OK, what's wrong with that? Well, it, abortion. I mean, most Americans do support the right of women to have access to any number of family planning services, including abortion services. With restrictions. Now, a, a number yes, of Americans also also uh, uh, 
believe strongly that government should not pay for abortion. And we have the Hyde Amendment, which prevents public financing of abortion. Now, how can you have that amendment uh, stand if you have a, a constitutional amendment, which, is the, uh, as the other speakers say, is a much higher law, which a much stricter degree of, of uh, application, which then would prevent any kind of exception. You see, there are no exceptions in ERA. There's no common sense exception on anything. And so there are fundamental differences between men and women. And the first one is women have babies and men do not. I'm Joshua Johnson, and you're listening to 1A. Carol, any concerns about unintended consequences from the ERA, either the ones that Anne has enumerated or any others? You know, as as has been stated, the the simplicity uh, and the directness of the text speaks for itself. The the Equal Rights Amendment language that has been proposed presents a very straightforward statement of fundamental human rights that women are equal and recognized in the United States Constitution. There is no unintended consequence there. And and this sort of renewed movement that you're seeing is is you're seeing people wanting and seeking to shift a culture in our society and to reinforce the principles of equality, to reinforce the principles of respect in order to address the many issues that women face. I, I don't live in this world of, of, of perfection that I'm, that I'm hearing about um, as, uh, as somebody who has done civil rights law, who has represented women who have been battered, who have been beaten, who have been raped, um, represented women in cases regarding pregnancy discrimination, pay equity. Um, the Equal Rights Amendment will play an important role in addressing these, um, in addressing issues of gender-based violence. Professor Gilman, could you jump in for us, please? Just give a little fact check on what we've heard so far. <laughs> well, it, definitely passage of the ERA would provide advocates with the opportunity to make new arguments, more vigorous arguments for equal rights. It would also give Congress a stronger foundation to pass laws that work towards women equality without having those laws struck down, which has happened in the past. But it will ultimately depend on judges' willingness to accept those interpretations. As we move towards a more conservative court, the odds of those interpretations uh, being accepted by courts lower. And so a lot hinges on who our judges are. And when you roll them back, a lot hinges on the outcome of elections, (laughs) because that determines who our judges are. So it might um, be a long game, but in the short term, it doesn't automatically change things dramatically. Morgana says she supports the ERA with some concerns. Morgana emailed, I believe the ERA is necessary, but I worry that it will only ensure protections for cis women. Discrimination against trans people, be they trans women facing misogyny, trans men unable to access reproductive health care, or people who do not identify within the binary, is discrimination based on gender and sex, and I believe it should be protected under the ERA. And just to be clear, for those who are fuzzy on the terminology, 
Morgana is referring to cisgender women, people whose biological sex at birth and gender identity today match. I was born male. I identify as a man. So I am a cisgender man. Professor Gilman, I know we got to move on in a second, but what about this? Does the ERA offer anything for LGBTQ people? It might. It will depend on how courts interpret this language, quote, on account of sex. In the Title VII context, for example, courts have really struggled to recognize animus against LGBTQ people as a form of discrimination on the basis of sex. So again, it's an interpretive question that only time will tell. And what about for men? Joseph emailed, I am male and support the ERA because it means the body bags coming back from war will no longer be 99.9% male and government spending on health care will be equally divided between men and women. I'm skeptical about the claims about military casualties. I think that's a little bit further out, but does the ERA offer anything for men? Absolutely. It does not allow discrimination on account of sex, and that applies equally to men as to women, as it should, because men and women both benefit from a vision of gender equality that does not limit people to sex stereotyped roles. We'll keep going in just a moment with Professor Michelle Gilman, Anne Schlafly Corey, and Carol Robles Roman. Momentarily, we'll hear from a state rep in Virginia, one of the 13 states that have not yet passed the ERA. She's co sponsoring legislation that might change that. And David has a question that he shared on our Facebook page that might be a foundational problem. David writes, The ERA means nothing. Thing. The proposed amendment expired. Is it too late to pass the ERA? Do supporters really have to start all over again? Stay close. Before we get back to our conversation, we would love your help with tomorrow's discussion of vaping, especially as it relates to teenagers. Efforts to prevent young people from smoking conventional cigarettes have been highly successful, funded by a settlement paid from the tobacco industry. Now some public health experts are concerned that electronic cigarettes might become an alternative for teens seeking something that seems safer. What are you seeing at your school regarding students and vaping? Who is it catching on with, if anyone? And what makes students start doing it? Leave us a voicemail, 855-236-1A1A. We'd love to hear from you if you're a student or a parent or a teacher. Is vaping catching on at your school? How are officials dealing with it? Or do they even know what to do? Tell us your story, 855 236 1A1A, or you can use our new app, 1A Vox Pop, to send us a radio quality audio file and to keep up to date on future topics. We will share some of your stories tomorrow on 1A. Back now to our conversation with Anne Schlafly-Corey, Carol Robles-Roman, and Professor Michelle Gilman. Much of the discussion over the ERA centers on the states that have yet to ratify it. We heard from two of you about this, one in office in North Carolina and one running for a seat in Florida, both states that have yet to ratify. Hi, Joshua. You asked the question about what we're doing here in North Carolina to promote the Equal Rights Amendment. Well, this is State Representative Deb Butler, and I have actually filed that legislation here in North Carolina 
it would be our great honor and privilege to actually be the state that completes the ratification process. We're looking forward to history making here in North Carolina. Hi, this is Kaiser Anna King from Gainesville, Florida, and we're one of the states that that has not ratified the ERA as of yet. I'm running for the state Senate, and when I go around and talk to people about which issue they would like me to put forth as the first piece of legislation I would do, I'm surprised at how many people pick the ERA. Thank you both for sharing your stories with us from Florida and North Carolina. Joining us now by phone from Arlington, Virginia, is Hala Ayala, a delegate who is working to make her state the final one to put the ERA over the finish line. Delegate Ayala, welcome to 1A. Thank you. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you for having me. Why do you want Virginia to be the one to put this over the top? I think it's very important. Um, last year's elections, um, if we want to talk about the aspects of intersectionality, we saw women from all backgrounds to be elected for office. And it's really time that uh, our laws are caught up with our society. Um, you know, women are leading in our military. We are leading in the legislature. We are leading uh, as to running for office in Congress. We've led in our communities and other uh, leadership capabilities. And now it's time that we are actually reflected and recognized in the Constitution. What do you see as the big challenge facing Virginia in terms of getting this passed? Are there any particular hurdles that you're focused on overcoming? Um, I think there's a, you know, I don't know if you have the time, but I do think (laughs) that, uh, you know, the hurdles that we face even uh, in Virginia, we're talking about pay inequities, you know, In Virginia, um, compared to a white male, we make 79 cents on the dollar if we are a white woman. If we are a a black woman, we are making 69 cents on the dollar, and a Latina receives 59 cents on the dollar. Um, Black women and women of color make essentially the contributions to our health and wealth um, of this nation and our communities, and we face discrimination on the basis of sex and race all the time. So these are just challenges that we have daily and in our day-to-day lives. But um, I think that the educational portion of the Equal Rights Amendment has to, to get out there to our community members, to Virginia, to really let them know what the Equal Rights Amendment is, why it's needed, and why it's necessary. Virginia, as a state, is one of those that made news earlier this year for having that tie that had to be broken. They literally had to draw a name out of a, out of a bowl to determine whether a Democrat or a Republican would win the seat that put the Republicans over the top in terms of having the majority. As it turned out, the Republican won. Otherwise, it would have been 50-50. What do you see as the political future of this? Do, do you get the sense that it's got enough support on both sides of the aisle to pass in Virginia? I'm hoping that... Um, I have great hope and optimism that as we start to roll out our statewide viewing of Iron Jawed Angels on the 26th of August, which is Women's Equality Day, um, I think that as we raise about awareness, as we talk about how men and women are equals, um, and in the, the, the format or the setting of the General Assembly, that we're, we're going to, again, reinforce the, the attributes and why it's necessary. Um, I'm sorry, Delegate, you, you said a statewide viewing of, of what was that again? Oh, I'm sorry, uh, how the, our statewide officials view the Equal Rights Amendment. Right. But you said that it sounded like something angels that you referred to. Oh, ironed jawed angels. It is the showing that we are doing statewide um, here in Virginia to promote education and awareness 
not only about the Equal Rights Amendment and the history of it, but also about the the legislators that are carrying this bill next year in the House. Oh, it's a it's a historical drama that came out in 2004. Hillary Swank yeah. plays Alice Paul, who I think was the suffragist who who originally introduced the ERA. Is that right? Yes, it was after the 19th Amendment was ratified. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, certainly we'll be interested to see what happens in Virginia and North Carolina and Florida and the other states that are considering this. Hala Ayala is a state delegate from Virginia. Delegate Ayala, thanks very much for talking to us. Thank you so much for having me. Let's dive back in with the rest of our panel and Corey, Carol Robles-Roman and Professor Michelle Gilman. And I want to come back to you for, for a moment. Your mother, Phyllis Schlafly, is credited with leading the charge and effectively kind of killing the ERA back in the 70s. But some of the arguments she made against it, you know, that women would be sent into combat zones, that we'd start having unisex bathrooms, that same-sex marriage would become law, all of those things happened without the ERA passing. Sandy tweeted, One of the scare tactics promoted by Anne's mother and others in the 70s was that women would not have designated bathrooms in public places. Welcome to 2018 and unisex bathrooms, which cause no harm to anyone. Based on the fact that these things happened without the ERA, why is the ERA even a big deal? Well, the ERA is a big deal because, as Professor Gilman pointed out, it gives enormous power to the courts to make these determinations and decisions. There are countless other laws across the country, state and federal laws, that do make distinctions on the basis of gender. And these laws would be overturned and subject to interpretation. I believe that ERA would be a huge power grab by the federal government away from state laws and away uh, and and for interpretation of however the judges decide to interpret the law ERA is too vague and as for privacy i think privacy is very important and if you think that um sex uh, se- uh, segregation is not important. Look to prisons. Do we really want to integrate and have sex-neutral prisons? Is that a benefit to women to be how to, to lose their privacy on that? What makes Another you believe example that the, what, what, would be what, what, women's what, what, shelters. Hold on a second. Back up. What makes you believe that the equal rights of men would necessarily lead to men and women being incarcerated side by side. That feels like it would violate the Bill of Rights protection against cruel and unusual punishment, at the very least. Well, if ERA is added to the Constitution, that is a greater force of an amendment than anything previously written in the Constitution because it's newer. I mean, the point of amending is to change the laws that are already in the Constitution. And if you, and there is no exception or exclusion in ERA. It is, it is a force that I think would have enormous harm and unintended consequence. And furthermore, Section 2 says Congress shall enforce. Congress will have to do this. I do want to ask uh, Professor Gilman about Section 2 in just a moment, but Anne, before I move on, I, I have to say, I, I wonder what you see, I have to ask rather, I wonder what you see as the prospect for this fight, considering that you're carrying on a fight that your your mother kind of pioneered. I don't think it's any secret that she was on the wrong side of history when it came to some matters, including race. And I think a lot of people who look like me are all in favor of certain kinds of federal power grabs when it comes to ensuring equality. 
How I think concerned you just are insulted you? my mother. I no, don't no, no. think she, she was she, on the wrong side of history. She had a lot I'm of talking. views on race that I think are I, outdated with 2018. I, I, I think you're, you're, you're manufacturing something there, and uh, that is not the case at all. Professor Gilman, am I manufacturing this? As I recall, Phyllis Schlafly had some very strong views on matters of race that I don't think are in keeping with 2018. I, 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 they, she did not. Uh, that was not. A, that was not. She talked about sex. I think what you're saying is a, is a slur on my mother. All right. Well, listen. Uh, let me bring Professor Gilman in on a different question. I'm going to look for what I'm for what I'm referring to. If I'm wrong, I'll admit that I'm wrong. But before I get to that, while I'm looking that up, Professor, let me get to a question from David with regard to Section Two. David emailed Section Two of the ERA talks about legislation in order to enforce the ERA. Would additional legislation be needed to enforce the ERA, or are the laws we have in place sufficient if protected by the ERA? Well, that would be up to Congress. I think women's rights advocates have a lot of laws they're hoping that Congress will pass, such as closing the gender gap in pay and providing affordable child care and things of that nature. An ERA would give Congress greater power to have those laws upheld. So, for instance, there was a provision of the Violence Against Women's Act, which provided a civil legal remedy for victims of gender-based violence. And the Supreme Court struck that part of the law down, saying Congress didn't have the power to create that kind of remedy. It's possible that um, the original language of the ERA or Representative Maloney's new language would uh, give Congress greater enforcement powers. But it would be up to Congress in terms of what laws it chooses to pass. The ERA does not mandate that any laws be passed. It mandates that the government not discriminate. It's, it's in the form of a negative right and not an affirmative right. I'm Joshua Johnson. You're listening to 1A. Carol Robles-Roman, what are your organization's strategies for getting states like Virginia, North Carolina, Florida to sign on to the ERA? You know, we have a lot of exciting energy. We're going to be joining uh, the folks in Virginia, for example, on August 26th, and we are going to be really barnstorming the country with our ERA equality roadshows. And in our ERA equality roadshows, where we've done in, in, in New York already, in, in, in D.C., we did one in California uh, six weeks ago, it's a very simple message. And the message is it, it's a new era for the ERA. We don't look backwards. We look forward. We're not talking about why it didn't pass and shouldn't have passed and how many bras were burned uh, in the 70s and the 80s. We're letting folks know that the overwhelming majority of Americans support the Equal Rights Amendment. We did a poll in 2016 where we laid out that 80 percent of Americans mistakenly thought there already was an Equal Rights Amendment. So when I used to at the beginning when I was advocating with the ERA, and they said, oh, you know, nobody really cares. So when this poll was done, it wasn't that people didn't care. It's because they thought it happened and were shocked and appalled and ashamed that it didn't. So then when we asked the second question, well, do you think there should be an ERA? 94% overwhelmingly support the Equal Rights Amendment, and that was a bipartisan poll. So 
we go to these states, we go around the country, we go through social media. We did a hearing in June with Congresswoman Maloney where we had a standing room only audience where people said, well, don't be too disappointed if nobody shows up. Fifteen Congress people showed up. Everybody was talking about it. We had social media up the wazoo. And what we are telling people is join us as we do our ERA Equality Roadshows. Mm -hmm. There is a public information void here that we are looking to fill very dramatically. We have legislators like the ones that you've just um, interviewed. And, and it was interesting, the quote that I believe it was the legislator from North Carolina said that she was surprised that the number one issue that her constituents are coming to her for are is the ERA. When you get elected, this is what we want you to focus right, on. Right. I'm not surprised because I travel the country. I have been traveling the country talking about this to supporters, people who don't know too much about it, and even people who oppose. And the message is clear. Look, there is a lack of public information on the Equal Rights Amendment, on, you know, kind of breaking through a lot of the, the myths and, 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 and the awfulizing that takes place, which I think you've done a, a very good job and, 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 and welcoming the opportunity and listening to the, to, to the position that Ann takes and, and, and having a solid conversation so that right, we can get to the heart of what equality is and is not in the United States of America and today. I, and I do need to get back to Ann before our time is up. Ann, I appreciate the pushback. I want to clarify the question. In 1960, your mother was among those who opposed the Republican Party, adding a plank to its party platform that would support a civil rights agenda that would demand aggressive action against segregation and discrimination. That's what I meant when I said that she has had some views, not all necessarily. I'm not trying to paint a broad brush, but there have been certain views that she's had that are out of keeping with the political mainstream in 2018. I know we're low on time and I wish I had more time to engage you on this, but but I just wonder what well, your perspective is on the future. I think talking about civil rights legislation in 1960 is very different uh, because there were that that was a specific law that was uh, being proposed, and and you always have differences on on what the uh, the language of the law says and how the law will be interpreted and then gone through. But I think it's important with ERA to remember that ERA in the Constitution will not give anyone a pay raise, and it will not stop any man from abusing a woman. Those problems in society are not going to be solved by a, an emotional amendment. Professor Gilman, before we go, even if this passes... I respectfully third... disagree, but we can have that. That could be part two on the next <laughs> edition. It's going to have to be part two. I appreciate all of you being part of part one, including Anne schlafly Corey, chairman of Eagle Forum, and we appreciate you sharing your views. Thanks for talking to us. You're welcome. Professor Michelle Gilman, who teaches law at the University of Baltimore. Mich Professor Gilman, thanks very much. My pleasure. And Carol Robles-Roman, co-president and CEO of the ERA Coalition and Fund for Women's Equality. Thank you, Carol. Thank you so much and, and look forward to coming back and continuing this very, very robust conversation. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. Remember, you can subscribe to our podcast on the NPR One app or any app you like. All the links to listen are at npr.org slash 1A. I'm Joshua Johnson. This is 1A. 